Hello, hello. Hey. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Finally done with doing things for school. Um, so I'm jealous. Yay, summer. <laughs> That'll be you soon. Don't worry. Yeah. Exams are so close for you. <laughs> They're this almost there. This Just around the corner. And then you'll be free. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this one is um, another TikTok case. Um, so technically... I'm going to preface this for all of you that it's not technically like a true crime in the sense that we've done in the past with like someone murdering someone else or someone going missing or something like that. Um, What actually happened was an accident. And I'm telling you this because I wanted to research it and then I was like, you know, might as well tell Maddie about it. So here we are. Fair enough. Um, And I'm taking the creative liberty here of calling it a true crime case so I can tell you about it today. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So without further ado, let's get right into it. I'm Sonia. I'm Maddie. And welcome to Grimm. Woo! So this is the case of the Byford Dolphin accident. And when I first heard it on TikTok, I was like, oh my god, a case involving dolphins. That's crazy. Um, it doesn't actually involve dolphins, so that was actually okay. quite disappointing. Honestly, though, um, it's, I was thinking that maybe dolphins got injured, too, so it's, it's good reassuring for me. <laughs> actually, you're right. That is quite reassuring. Um, but no, it doesn't involve dolphins at all, but okay. the Bifur dolphin was this semi-submersible, like, column stabilized drilling rig um that was operated oh. by a company called dolphin drilling I which is why it was in. yeah that's <laughs> where the dolphin comes into it um kind of disappointing that it's just dolphin drilling like i don't know i just feel like that name could have been so much more creative mm. um but anyway it was a fred olson energy subsidiary it, that doesn't mean anything to me, yeah, <laughs> but me maybe either. it'll mean something to someone else. <laughs> so you can have some information. This is just research so that when I go on Jeopardy eventually, I can answer questions about <laughs> sustainable energy or non-sustainable energy, whatever. Yeah. Um, here we go. <laughs> so yeah, the company basically, they drill seasonally in the UK, Norway, and Denmark. Um, like kind of in the North Sea area, like off the coast of everything. Hmm. Um but the company is technically registered in Hamilton, Bermuda, which is the capital of the British Overseas Territory in Bermuda. The more you know. Yeah. Um, the Bifer Dolphin was built as this deep sea driller, and it was designed by the Acre Group, which is this like engineering company in Oslo. Um, but the actual rig was completed, like construction was completed in the Acre Vertel shipyard in 1974. So it is quite old. It's like not like a new rig. Um, but I suppose in 1974 it was the newest rig. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here is some technical information about the Bifer Dolphin that I will now share with you because I learned it. Um, also, it has no meaning to me, but. You know, dimensions are useful, I guess. Um, The total rig was 355 feet in length and 221 feet in width, and like it had a depth of 120 feet. So it seems like it's a quite big area um, Mm -hmm. to cover. 
It could drill down up to 20,000 feet, and it could operate at a water depth of 1,500 feet under the surface, um, which is very deep. I don't think I would be comfortable being 1,500 feet under the surface. No, I like to stay where I can stand in the ocean. <laughs> yeah. I'm also a big fan of breathing. And <laughs> something like that under the water just terrifies me. Huge fan of breathing. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, so the rig is it's like a full-on drilling rig, you know? So it had, at the time, really advanced drilling equipment. It had its own engine, so it could, like counter the drift of the ocean currents and maneuver on its own for short distances but like I guess for long distances they still needed like a specialist tugboat thing to you know move it and everything um it had crew quarters for 102 people um oh also this is just kind of funny to me also my like jeopardy knowledge but um it had a subsea handling system called Christmas tree oh that is fun yeah um, don't do any more research into it because I was like, oh, what a cute little name. But then I was like, I looked into it and apparently it's just like an assembly of valves and casing spools that are fitted to regulate the flow of pipes in an oil well or a gas well or a water injection well or a water disposal well or a gas injection well or like so many other types of wells. Like, it's so boring. Damn. Anyway, I'm not an oil rig engineer, as you can tell. Really? Isn't that crazy? It is. Um, But yeah, you're so welcome for that information. Why, Um, thank you. Do with it what you want. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think, so at the time, there were these very strict levels of certification that were placed by Norwegian law about, like, what, like, an oil rig has to meet in, like, standard-wise. And at the time, it did meet these standards, um, I think in later years, it was actually banned from Norwegian waters because it didn't meet the standards. So hmm. that's really fun and fresh. Um, yeah, so kind of the way that these dives work is that like you have to surface very slowly because of, you know, like the levels of nitrogen in your body and stuff like that. It can cause the bends, mm-hmm. um, which like I'm slightly traumatized by it because I watched an episode of, I think it was House, it might have been a different medical show, but like someone went scuba diving and then they got in a plane and they were like oh almost God. dead. Um, oh, no. So yeah, very scary thing, the bends. Um, <laughs> but like, so if you ascend to the surface too quickly, there's a drop in pressure that causes nitrogen to like come out of the solution and form these tiny little bubbles, which causes you know crippling joint pain. And then it can also cause stroke paralysis or death. So don't do it. Yeah, not fun stuff. Yeah. Um, So to avoid it, the divers have to ascend really slowly and they take decompression stops at regular intervals to stop the nitrogen or to allow the nitrogen to like safely expel Mm -hmm. and like not form the bubbles or anything. Um, But the thing is like for a dive where you're 1500 feet under the surface, it's like a long dive. It's a really deep dive, and it's going to take over fifty hours of decompression. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of like doing that regularly, I think the divers spend their entire working shift under pressure, and then they spend their off hours in a diving chamber, which is pressurized to the depth that they're at, and then they travel to and from the job site in a pressurized diving bell, and that's like a transfer capsule. Yeah. Interesting. 
it is very like scientific and technical and like it worked you know it, like it's, it's the thing that people have to do because you have to have people on, on the rigs and everything mm-hmm. um apparently the science behind it is that like after a certain amount of time a diver's body becomes fully saturated with nitrogen and then like it can't absorb anymore so it doesn't matter how long they stay below the required decompression time is the same so they just maximize the time that they're under and keep okay. them in like compression like pressurized sleeping quarters and everything which to me sounds really sad <laughs> like yeah they can't like go and do outside people stuff <laughs> yeah like they're just stuck on this rig forever yeah i mean until the end of like their time there yeah. but like also can you imagine like you don't get along with someone and you're stuck in a pressurized chamber 1500 feet below the surface yeah that would not be fun it would it would not be <laughs> um so as you can imagine, diving is incredibly dangerous. Like, <laughs> it's, it is really dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were actually quite a few accidents over the years. Um, the one that was, like, noted on the first article I read was called the Deep Sea Driller Accident. And it has nothing to do with this. Like, it was literally, they were just transferring this rig a year after it was built on March 1st, 1976. And then it accidentally ran on land while it was moving from the nor- from the North Sea to, like, west of Norway. Damn. Yeah, and so the crew was evacuated. Um, and then, like, the reason that six people died was because they fell out of their lifeboats. Oh. So it really had nothing to do with the rig. It was, like, a lifeboat problem. But it was, like, a notable, you know, incident in the rig's past. Yeah. Um... But the major accident that everyone talks about that, like, people say is probably the most gruesome death out there is the diving bell accident. And this happened on Saturday, November 5th at um, 4 a.m., actually, in 1983. And I think it happened at 4 a.m. Like, I was thinking, like, you'd want to be asleep then. But I guess when you're so far under, like, time doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, so this occurred while drilling was happening um, in the Norwegian sector of the North Sea. And there were f- uh, four divers involved. Um, I I will be butchering these names because some of them are not English. So I will apologize okay. in advance. Um, the four divers were Edwin Arthur Coward, Roy P. Lucas... Bjorn Giver Bergeson and Trul Helvik. Um, so the first two are British, 35 and 38 years old, and the second two were Norwegian, 29 and 34. And they were assisted by two dive tenders, who I guess are really experienced divers. Um, I'm not exactly sure like why they weren't included with the divers, but their official title is dive tender, so I think they just like help out with the dives. And this was William Cramond and Martin Sunders. So they were all in this diving chamber system on the rigs deck, and it was connected by this, like there are um, like three chambers, and they're connected by a short passage called a trunk to the diving bell. And I know it's kind of complicated, so I will post a picture. There's like a diagram that I've seen everywhere that 
was quite useful in like visualizing where these people were and how everything kind of happened. Um, but I'll post that on our Instagram. Um, and so basically what should have happened was that you need to close the diving bell door, which was open to the trunk, slightly increase the pressure in the diving bell to seal the bell door. Like that has to be sealed really tightly. And then you close the chamber one door, which is also open to the trunk, slowly depressurize the trunk until it reaches a pressure of one atmosphere, and then open the clamp to separate the diving bell from the chamber system. So it's like a very structured process about closing and opening doors and then repressurizing and depressurizing the system. And it has to be done like, like obviously you're underwater, like it has to be done in order. Yeah. Um, and like the whole system was designed to overcome decompression, decompression sickness. Like it was, it's a very technical specialized process. Mm-hmm. Um, on this particular day, Helvick was about to close the door between the chamber and the trunk when the chamber explosively decompressed from nine atmospheres to one atmosphere. And I don't know like how much you remember from chemistry, but not much. <laughs> that's a lot. Like. It's a lot, from nine to one. Okay. Um, All four divers were instantly killed. um, And William Crennand, one of the tenders, also died. Um, Martin Sunders was severely injured during it. And he's the Um, only one who survived? Yeah, he survived it, but he was, like, severely injured. So, and I think it was because the diving tenders were outside the system Mm -hmm. so it wasn't like they were in it when it all happened Mm -hmm. um which is why like martin saunders was able to survive um so before all this happened like all the decompression chambers were connected via the trunk to the diving bell and like there are just a bunch of clamps that seal this connection in place so kremond and saunders were outside and operating the clamp and Cowan and Lucas were in the resting area in chamber two which was at nine atmospheres because they wanted to like keep everyone at nine atmospheres so that you know decompression sickness didn't happen and um Bergeson and Helvick were in the diving bell which was joined to the trunk um like I said it sounds complicated when I'm saying it but I think the diagram will really help mm-hmm. um yeah, so Bergeson and Helvick were in the diving bell. They left their equipment there um, in the trunk, and they climbed into chamber one. And that's when they started this whole process of, you know, closing the clamps and trying to decompress everything so it was safe. So they completed steps one and two, which was closing the diving bell door to, and then to slightly increase the pressure in the diving bell to seal the bell door. But for some unknown reason, Cramond, who was outside, opened the clamp that was keeping the trunk sealed before Helvick could close the door to the chamber. Mm-hmm. So it was like too soon that he yeah. did step three. Um, and that's kind of why the explosive decompression happened. Um, it caused the interior trunk door to jam and push the bell away. And then that kind of hit the two tenders outside the system. Um, and just five people died so it was not not good no 
Um, they did the medical investigation on the divers afterwards, and I guess the most notable finding was like they found um, the presence of large amounts of fat in the arteries and veins and the cardiac chambers, and then intravascular fat in organs, especially the liver. Um, there's a whole lot of science about like why that happened. It's kind of about bubble formation cause, causing like the lipoproteins to denature and then the fat c- is insoluble. Um, but basically it's because of the pressure change. Like that's what a pressure change instantly from nine atmospheres to one atmosphere causes. Um, and along with that pressure change, basically like the blood in three of the divers boiled instantly. And stop the circulation. Um, I think the only upside is that if it's instantaneous, at least they didn't feel pain. Like, yeah. That's the only thing I can think of is like at least they weren't, you know, like under the ocean and knowing what's happening. Yeah. Um, the fourth diver was not so lucky. He was dismembered by the blast because. Uh-huh the change in pressure forced him through the door that was partially blocked. It was a crescent-shaped opening that was about 24 inches long. Um, So you can imagine a grown man, like, being shoved through that. Yeah. Um, This is a really gruesome bit. I'm going to read it from one of the articles. It said, With the escaping air and pressure, it included bisection of his thorough abdominal cavity, which resulted in fragmentation of his body, followed by expulsion of all the internal organs of his chest and abdomen, except the trachea and a section of the small intestine and of the thoracic spine. These were projected some distance, one section being found 10 meters vertically above the exterior pressure door. Oh, God. Yeah. (laughs) The other thing, like, at least, you know, it wasn't, I don't think it was like slow like I think it was also almost instantaneous like I think in a lot of the true crime cases we talk about like a lot of the people have felt the pain of dying Mm -hmm. and that's a really scary thing like when we talk about things like um suffocation or drowning like those are my biggest fears in death um yeah at least something like this was instantaneous and that's the only silver lining I can find otherwise it's an absolutely horrific and gruesome death yeah yeah um so of course they had to do an investigation into this and the conclusion from this initial investigation was that the accident was caused by human error because um I guess the trunk had this like center hinge and the door was rotated too far to the left which caused the opening um and it's not really clear whether the person who opened the clamp before the trunk depressurized did, like, did it because they were ordered to do it or because, like, a miscommunication happened or, like, it was like, oh, I should do this now. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I guess, like, the only communication that the tenders who were on the outside of the chamber system had was this, like, bullhorn that was attached to the wall. And I guess, you know, it's really hard to hear because there's noise from the rig and noise from the sea so like really like it it seems like a really easy miscommunication to have yeah um and also they worked like 16 hour shifts which meant that they must have been exhausted so there were just a lot of things happening that shouldn't have happened yeah 
I think they ended up saying that you know the system this was 10 years after the system was built and then I think there might have been like it wasn't really equipped with these fail-safe hatches or outward pressure gauges or like a mechanism that prevents the trunk from being open while the system is under pressure like it didn't have any of those Mm -hmm. so the argument that a lot of people had was that it wasn't human error like if the rig was built with these safety mechanisms you know they could have they could have been saved yeah that's sad um so here's the tea is that the former crew members of the Byford Dolphin came forward and they said that the investigation and the blaming it on the people like in the rig was a cover-up um because they did know about like vital equipment that was requested and like authorized or something like that like this equipment the safety measures like they knew about it Mm -hmm. um and they didn't have the proper equipment including like clamping mechanisms and stuff like that um so they were saying that like it's a whole cover-up because of these things you know like you they should have had it and they should have fixed it because they knew about it yeah um there was a a whole like group of people, the early North Sea divers and then the relatives of the people in the accident, they formed this alliance and they, based on this information, based on the fact that like people were saying it's a cover-up, they were like, we need more investigation into this. And in February of 2008, they obtained a report that indicated that the real cause was in fact faulty equipment and it was a cover-up. Um, so I think Roy Lucas's daughter even said, Quote, I would go so far as to say that the Norwegian government murdered my father because they knew that they were diving with an unsafe decompression chamber. End wow. quote. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's really tragic. And, like, especially that they had loved ones and, like, the company or whatever was just like, no, it was their fault. Yeah. And, like, I can't imagine hearing that, like, being like, oh, they did this to themselves when they just there was no proper safety equipment on the rig yeah so i mean at least you know it's 26 years after the incident happened but like at least the family finally received some compensation and some closure about what happened yeah that's true but it just shouldn't have happened is the thing like they should have had the safety equipment on board yeah yeah so this was a tragedy um it is a scary profession, I think. Going into it. Like it. Yeah, so um, I guess the Bifer Dolphin Rig is still in operation oh. and is currently on contract with British Petroleum. Um, I don't actually know how accurate this information is because I, like, the article didn't mention, like, when this was. Mm. Um but you know this type of diving it's called saturation diving it's still used in the offshore oil industry and i think it is one of the most dangerous but like highest paid jobs in the world um i think a lot of divers earn fourteen hundred dollars a day oh wow but it's because it's just like you could die at any point like just horrifying yeah truly horrifying (laughs) yeah i I could not imagine no. being in this situation. 
Yeah. Um. Okay. So that is all that I have for you today. Um, I hope you enjoyed this very gruesome death episode. Yeah, it was interesting. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the liberties I take in telling you what I want to research. Very high at the moment. So. No, I feel like that is true crime because it's like, you know, um, what's negligence kind of? Criminal negligence? Yeah, I guess it could yeah. be. Thank you for validating that. Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, do you have anything that you would like to share before we head off? Um, do I? I've just been chilling, trying to... I have a Tough mutter that I'm running in about three weeks, I think. Um, so I have to... I'm getting ready for that. I had a really good run for it yesterday, actually. And Ooh. Really great. So that was a plus. Um, Amazing. I just have one final left. So ah, pulling through. School. Yes. <laughs> Hate to see it. But hey, at least it's just one. And technically I could afford to fail it. So <laughs> please don't fail it. Hey, you never know. I really I don't think you should. But I could. I believe in you. But like I have the room in my schedule to fail it. So why oh not? God, please. <laughs> please. I'll try not to, but it okay, makes me feel you. better knowing that I can. <laughs> That's fair. I do like seeing the lowest possible test score I can get and still maintain like a decent grade. It's yeah. My favorite pastime. Fun little calculation. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, that's it for me. What about you? Um, yeah, finally, I am done with my exams. Um, nice. It is a very big win that yeah. I made it through in one piece. I'm proud of you. Apparently. People have told me I made it through in one piece. I don't feel it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I have decided to take the day to not do anything. Um, oh, I've been taking like weeks to not do anything, girl. <laughs> Honestly, I don't blame you. It's really fair. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm very much looking forward to actually reading the, the many, many books that I bought last summer and haven't read. Yes, very um, exciting. So I will be doing that for the rest of today. Keep me updated um, on what you're reading. I will absolutely do that. I'm, I literally, I have like six and I need to pick one and I don't know how to pick one. I so I think I'm going to just roll here. a dice. Oh yeah. Or you do that. <laughs> I'm going to just, you know, toss it and be like, this is what I'm doing. Fair enough. Um, of course, I don't have any physical dice, so <laughs> I will be using an online dice roller. Yeah, I was going to say, just Google it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love the internet. Oh Yeah. Um, my favorite is like Google coin flip. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> it's such like, I do a simple all the time. thing, but still. It's amazing. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, that is all from me. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to share? I do not. So I can just spiel us out. Amazing. Uh, so you can find us on Instagram at Grim Podcast. You can follow us, DM us, like our photos, and from our profile, there's a button to email us. You can email us at thegrimpodcast at gmail.com. You can send us thoughts on stories we have covered, stories you want us to cover, or life updates of your own. We also have a Twitter, which is Podcast Grim, and a Facebook, which is Grim. No, wait. Yes. No, I did do that right. Twitter is Podcast yeah. Grim. Facebook is Grim Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and other than that, just leave us a good review and tell your friends and family about us. Yep. And we will see you next week for a um, story that I will figure out before we record. Perfect. <laughs> I'm really good at procrastinating. 
it's my <laughs> skill I feel it um, but yes until then we will see you soon yes bye, bye.